Hello, welcome to Wiley Connected. I'm David Gross, partner at Wiley and co-head of the TMT, Telecom Media and Technology Practice, here at the firm. We're thrilled to have an old friend of mine and someone who's really a quite preeminent for many years now in the telecommunications space in Washington and globally, John Gottfried, who is Samsung's Senior Vice President for Public Policy. Welcome to Wiley Connected. David, thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. Well, we're thrilled to have you for many reasons, one of which is, of course, everyone is talking about 5G. And some people who talk about 5G know what they're talking about. Some people who talk about 5G are a little confused and are interested in the headlines. Well, in about but a half an hour, you can judge which of those I am. I am sure that you are one of the most knowledgeable people on 5G, and particularly not only because of what's happening here in the United States, but because of your role with Samsung, you have a global perspective as well that we like to explore. For our, uh, for our listeners, perhaps you could start off a little bit and explain 5G, what does it mean, and how is it different than what the wireless world that consumers are used to using today? Oh, sure. It's 5G's, it's a whole, a whole extra G. <laughs> and that's actually significant because the, uh, the wireless industry goes through a generational change only about once every 10 years. And then things stabilize around a new set of communication standards and a new platform. Uh, and a whole lot gets built on top of that platform. And then the 10 years later, there's another generational change. And, you know, before you ask, yes, of course, our engineers are already working on 6G. But that's going to be a long way off before people have to worry about it. But 5G adds really dramatic new capabilities on top of what was in 4G, which was a huge jump over, you know, 3G as well. The best kind of the technical way to think about what 5G is, is it's much faster, much higher data rates. It's also much more responsive network. People talk about low latency, and that means when you send a command signal, whatever, communication through the network, instead of taking 50 to 100 milliseconds to come out the other side, it takes less than 10 milliseconds, and then you get an answer back. And so it's almost as fast as thought, kind of imperceptible delay, which really makes a difference. And then finally, it's been engineered for massive machine communications. So instead of just connecting all the people with their cell phones, 5G is designed to also connect things, uh, sensors, cars, machines, cameras, all kinds of stuff. So much more machine to machine and machine to cloud computing type communications, people as well. But, but all that other stuff. And so it's a big advance in all three of those directions. And how do you see this developing? In other words, as you point out, there'll be some commercial applications for an industry. There'll be other applications for individuals and the like. How fast uh, do you see this rolling out, uh, both in the United States and globally? It's rolling out now. What'll be interesting is how long it takes before we see dramatically new applications on top of it. But the infrastructure is being deployed now by carriers around the world. The United States was the first country in the world to launch a commercial 5G service. In 2018, Samsung and Verizon launched uh, Verizon's 5G home service in Sacramento and then several other cities. And that is a high-speed fixed broadband service that people can have in their house. 
and fixed is sort of basically uh, not mobile, not, not, not for somebody in their car, but rather in their home connected sort of in the way in which their traditional cable or Fios related type of service. Yeah, that's right. A competitor for that kind of service. But very quickly, Verizon and the other carriers began deploying mobile 5G service. And so Samsung has now sold worldwide last year 6.7 million 5G smartphones. We have also deployed 5G infrastructure equipment, base stations, radio units, and baseband units, uh, what's called the Radio Access Network, or the RAN. We're one of the world's leading vendors of 5G RAN, which maybe a lot of your, your uh, listeners didn't, maybe didn't know, uh, but we've emerged as in the top tier of 5G equipment vendors, and we're selling equipment to three of the U.S. carriers, all of the... Uh, South Korean carriers, carriers in Japan, Canada, New Zealand, and and more to come. And so 5G's mobile service is spreading around the world, and the phones are being deployed around the world. But uh, what's going to be really interesting is when people begin using it not just for faster downloads, but they actually start to be able to do completely new things with 5G that can't be done at all with 4G. And could you give us a a couple of examples? I realize we're now talking about the future, and the future is always unpredictable by definition, but could you give us uh, a little idea of what some of those new applications might be and how they might have an impact on both industrial processes and our everyday life? Sure. I I wish I could predict the future. I I can tell you probably the most important application of 5G will be something nobody's thought of yet. And I can say that because that's what happened with 4G. I remember, you remember, 10 years ago when people were saying, why do we really need 4G? Do people really need to download their digital music files that much faster? Do they need to open their email that much faster? They were thinking, you know, they weren't thinking right about what could be added on the platform. It's because of 4G that social networking is a thing now. If you had to do your social networking while sitting at your desk, it wouldn't have caught on the way that it does. Ride sharing obviously happens because it's on a mobile service, because it's on 4G. Nobody was predicting those things when 4G came along. So 5G will be like that too. But I can tell you what Samsung is working on right now and also make some personal predictions about where I think this is going. That'd be great. Um, We have invested in developing some use cases for especially enterprise applications of 5G, kind of business commercial applications, because to make the investment in deploying the 5G infrastructure coast to coast, covering the entire country so that people would have 5G in their hand no matter where they went, that's going to take a while. But you can invest in a particular location and get it up and running immediately. In Austin, Texas, where which happens to be my hometown, Samsung's been there for over 20 years with a massive semiconductor manufacturing facility. We employ thousands of people there making really cutting-edge semiconductors uh, that are used in lots of mobile devices, not only our own, in fact. But uh, we have partnered with AT&T, and built a 5G manufacturing innovation zone there. And it's really a test bed for using 5G in the factory to revolutionize how manufacturing is done. And part of that is 
the fact that in a modern factory, you want to be able to move the machine tools around. You want to be able to flexibly change your factory floor. If you have a lot of wires, that's hard to do. So you, you would really rather have a wireless connectivity. Also, if you want to put sensors on the things that are moving through the factory, they, they obviously can't be connected to a wire at all. So if you're moving semiconductor wafers through a semiconductor factory, you want to have sensors on those. But there's more. Instead of putting thermal sensors on all the machine tools, you can put cameras in the factory, infrared cameras, pointing at the manufacturing line and detecting when there's a temperature anomaly, when something's getting too hot. That can be a signal that something is about to break. Video is very, very powerful as a sensor because you can use artificial intelligence to spot when something is going wrong. But video needs a lot of bandwidth, and so that's why you really wouldn't be able to do it with just Wi-Fi, at least current Wi-Fi. You would want to put 5G on your factory floor. Another application that we're looking at is worker safety. You can actually have those cameras recognize if a worker is trying to walk out onto the factory floor and has forgotten to put on their hard hat or their safety goggles and lock the door so they can't go through. Last thing I'll mention that I'm excited about down there is uh, augmented reality training for factory workers and remote guidance. If the worker is repairing a, a machine like a robot, they can wear augmented reality glasses connected through 5G to either a, you know, a remote coach or some kind of artificial intelligence that will display in the air in front of the machine tool step-by-step -step instructions. Here's what you need to repair. Here's what you're looking for. Here's the part that you need to replace. And we think that'll make factory workers, it will empower people to go out onto the factory floor and do really, you know, really important jobs much faster. And it sounds like uh, recognizing the um, uncertainty about the future, it always is the case, that the combination of 5G and artificial intelligence, as you talked about, can be a very powerful combination so that the revolution that we hear about because of artificial intelligence and the issues that come from that, together with the revolution that may come from higher speeds and lower latency of 5G, uh, may be extraordinarily complementary. Yeah, absolutely. Artificial intelligence is being used today already to analyze data from the online world, from people's searches, from people's shopping, from people's social media posts, whatever. There, that's already happening. What I think 5G will do is enable artificial intelligence to be applied to the physical world, which is, you know, it's out there. It's not connected with wires. And so with cameras and sensors, on the factory floor or in a retail environment or along the roadways, you'll be able to apply artificial intelligence to analyze video and detect, you know, detect a safety problem or be able to interact with the people who are there and assist them. I assume that that would also suggest uh, not only saving lives and greater efficiency in that respect, but also in terms of climate change, that is the having much more efficient industrial processes, the lack of need to move items from place to place, uh, but rather to have this done in a more virtual sense, should have a major impact down the road 
on climate change issues and the like. Yeah, sure, I agree with that. Also, uh, the ability to have more environmental sensors detecting what's going on in the atmosphere. Um, uh, and, you know, part of what 5G does to enable artificial intelligence, too, is what's called mobile edge computing. You will see more servers and computing happening out near the edge of the mobile network connected to the user, whether it's a person with a smartphone or, a, you know, a car with a 5G connection or whatever. And this is where that low latency kicks in that I was talking about. With the sub, you know, sub 10 millisecond latency, that artificial intelligence will be able to respond to you as if it, as if somebody was there whispering in your ear, helping you on the scene. So if I can give you an example, and this this isn't something that, that Samsung has done, so this is kind of John's personal wish list. But when you go, imagine if you could go to the grocery store and you're standing in front of this shelf of, of hot sauces and you can't find the one that you were looking for. If you could hold up your phone and ask, where's that hot sauce? And instantly on the screen of your phone appears a pointer to where the, the one you're looking for is, then you'll be able to find it. I think people would really use that. You don't do that today because it might not be that accurate because the video quality may not be up to snuff. And even more important, there'll be delays, there'll be lags. If, if that took 10 seconds, I don't think most people would do it. But if it happens instantaneously, I think that could become mainstream. And let me tell you the people I think would really, really benefit from this. And this is probably the application of 5G that I'm most excited about is blind people. I think with that kind of technology, people who are blind or have low vision will, with the assistance of artificial intelligence and uh, you know a camera that they're carrying around with them, will be able to navigate the world more independently it will really transform people's lives. I'm, I'm sure you're right, and I think those with uh, you know disabilities can benefit, have already benefited greatly by the changes in technology, and it's just extraordinary to think about what is possible with low latency and high bandwidth opportunities and be able to pull that sort of data through the network and be able to customize it in a way that really is very personal, both in terms of the individual, but also uh, where they are geographically and the like. That's right. You mentioned where they are geographically. One other thing that 5G can do to help uh, the blind and everyone is much more accurate position finding. Uh, there, are, there are companies now that are experimenting with pinpointing where you are within centimeters based on triangulating among 5G base stations. And so that could really guide you through space very, you know, Powerfully, And I imagine for uh, public safety, you know, this has been one of the ongoing issues is how technology has made it easier for public safety to find problems, whether it's fires and, and react to, to emergencies. Uh, that's always been a challenge, and everyone always wants it to get better uh, very naturally. And it sounds like we could make a quantum leap in advancements in that area uh, through 5G and by broadband deployment of it. Yeah, you could. You know, my brother-in-law is a, a retired firefighter. He loves running into building, burning buildings, but it actually would be a little safer to send a robot into a burning building to see what's going on or fly a drone in. Um, you may have heard people talk about robotic surgery as an application of 5G. I, I think 
it may be a while before we're sending robots out into the field to cut on people, but I definitely think an early application of it would be uh, for an emergency medical technician on the scene uh, of a medical emergency to have a an expert remotely coaching them through a emergency medical procedure, looking over their shoulder and whispering in their ear. A and you need 5G for that to get good enough video and low enough delay. Let's, uh, let me change the subject from the extraordinarily personal, which is saving lives and things of that nature, to a, a more global perspective for a moment. Samsung, as you point out, is one of the major manufacturers, both of network-related equipment and handsets and the like. And chips as well, and 5G chips. chips. And so uh, you all have, a, I think, a unique perspective. You're one of the, what I often think of as one of the big four in the 5G uh, space with Huawei from China and the issues that come with Huawei, at least uh, currently, with Nokia and Ericsson. So you guys are sort of the big four global players. Uh, there's a lot of discussion here in the United States about whether or not we're winning the race to 5G, losing the race to 5G. Is there a race to 5G? From your perspective, a global perspective, where does the U.S. fit into this uh, transformation from 4G to 5G? The U.S. is in the front of the pack, probably along with South Korea. The U.S. was the first in the world to have any 5G service turned on. At this point, the number of subscribers in South Korea is the most in the world. The, the South Koreans were, for one thing, it's a small country, and, and, uh, and people live close together. But also the government was really aggressive about auctioning off both mid-band and millimeter wave spectrum and getting that deployed. And so the carriers priced it aggressively there, and they've actually found the revenue per subscriber has gone up because people who have begun using 5G in South Korea use so much more data. So that's good. But the global race to 5G isn't just which carriers are deploying 5G or which manufacturers are making 5G equipment. Samsung wants to be the leader in, in 5G equipment, but that's not really the global race that matters. I think the global race that matters more than that is the innovation that happens on top of the 5G platform. If you think about the great tech companies and the value that's been built, on top of 4G and on top of the internet, a whole lot of those companies are American companies that originated in people's garages and became small startups that grew into giant successful companies. And that's going to happen again with 5G. And so what's important is for the United States to get 5G deployed and have the platform be deployed so that those new innovations can be created on top of it. And that that value can accrue to the U.S. economy and to, to U.S. jobs. So the United States is doing well, and the policymakers have prioritized 5G here. We can get into a, a couple of things that they probably still need to do, but um, I would say the, the U.S. is doing fine. We're kind of in an interesting phase right now where 5G, there's been a lot of hype. It's begun to be deployed. We haven't yet seen the breakthrough new services and applications that might take a year or two. 
And so people may be saying, well, what's this all for? Uh, I would say just be patient. It's definitely coming. And if you could talk a little bit about, uh, again, from that perspective of how this evolves, how do you see this evolving? Is it going to be uh, primarily in urban areas first? Is it going to be uh, ubiquitous uh, across the United States? And how important is mid-band versus millimeter wave? They're both important. And so the way it will evolve is there's kind of two different flavors of 5G. The the very high capacity millimeter wave flavor where, and there's nothing about millimeter waves that makes them faster than other waves. The issue is that way up high in the spectrum band, there's a whole lot more spectrum that hasn't already been put to use. So the FCC has been able to clear huge amounts of spectrum at 28 gigahertz, at 37 to 40 gigahertz, uh, 24 other bands are coming. And so carriers have been able to amass these very large channels. And with a large channel, you can put a lot of data through. Um, but those high frequency uh, signals don't propagate as far. They propagate further than people thought they would. I think one of the breakthroughs in 5G that Samsung was very involved in is using phased array antennas to make millimeter waves uh, um, propagate much better with focused energy beams than people had thought. And that was kind of one of the breakthroughs to make 5G for mobile possible. So the millimeter waves are crucial, but even so, they're not going to go for miles and miles. They're going to propagate a few city blocks. So that technology will probably be deployed in urban areas, along roadways, and in places where you have high density of users like a football stadium or a factory, sort of an enterprise use. That's where the millimeter wave will be critical. But equally critical are the sub-6 gigahertz bands, the mid-band and even the low-band spectrum that propagates a lot farther. And U.S. carriers are already deploying 5G there as well and covering most of the United States, not maybe every last square inch, but the vast majority of the U.S. population. And that is 5G, because the channels are not as big, the capacity and the data rates won't be as eye-poppingly high, although they're still good. It's still a leap forward. But you'll have the benefits of low latency and massive device connectivity. Another way to think about it is they work together. You can have the lower bands for coverage and the higher bands for throughput and congestion relief. So it will all work together. So from your perspective, from Samsung's perspective, the discussion you sometimes hear from policymakers about the need to get more millimeter wave spectrum out there or mid-band is really um, you need it all, and for, particularly from a country the size of the United States. You need it all, and, and where the U.S. is at the moment behind is in the mid-band. We have not allocated as much mid-band spectrum in other parts of the world. They've really focused on around 3.5 gigahertz. We have, you know, one of the U.S. carriers, Sprint, has 2.5 gigahertz spectrum, and the 3.5 gigahertz CBRS is about to become available. It's, it's technically available right now, but the priority access licenses are going to be auctioned off this summer. 
not a very high power solution though it's, it's kind of for shorter range the FCC has a proposal they're going to be voting on for C-band that will clear out some spectrum. That will be good spectrum for 5G, but you know it's going to take a couple of years for that to get deployed. The U.S. needs to keep the foot on the gas in the mid-band. High-band we've done well, and at the low-band we've really led the world in packing, repacking broadcast TV and making spectrum available for mobile. And do you see, uh, you talk a little bit about some of the more difficult mid-band spectrum issues uh, where you have incumbent users and the like. Is sharing a practical approach, do you think, looking ahead? I think it will be. You know, we're going to find out. CBRS was built around that principle. And so the highest priority user is the military. There's naval radars at 3.5 gigahertz. And so there's this spectrum access database multiple vendors of that will tell you if there's a naval radar nearby and if there is then you can't transmit but the ships move around and so i guess the you know the radars won't always be there and that's a great solution because before we had this database system the u.s government simply wouldn't have been able to share that spectrum at all and so we hope that's going to work really well a lot of investments being made now in deploying the database system and then deploying CBRS base stations that operate under the control of that database system to then authorize use of the spectrum. You know, AT&T selected Samsung as their vendor of CBRS equipment, and we've done some uh, very successful trials with them. So I think CBRS is going to be important, and if that model works, we may see more of that. As a major handset manufacturer, and Samsung was one of the, maybe the largest manufacturer of 5G handsets and the like, there's a lot of radios that need to be placed in there because you've talked about there's a, particularly if you're a, a global player, how is that working? Is the ability to have that many radios, that much computing power in these handsets a limiting factor? Not really. The phones are amazing feats of engineering, David. I do remember when it was a big deal 10 years ago when somebody made a three-band cell phone or a four-band cell phone, people don't talk about it that much anymore. There are so many bands in the phones. If you read the uh, FCC certification reports, uh, which I have to sometimes, there's just a long list of frequency bands that are supported. The 5G phones are especially interesting because they've got millimeter wave antenna arrays inside them our 5G smartphones have multiple arrays of millimeter wave antennas that can actually do beamforming and steer a communication a path back to the base station, just like the base station has beamforming to steer communication to the phone. They're amazing feats of engineering. It's very, very exciting, and I assume this also underscores the need for scale and scope from a manufacturing perspective. Uh, you need to be a big player in order to really be able to produce not only at scale, but at cost that individuals can afford. That's right. Yeah. Where's Europe in all of this? We've talked a little bit about South Korea, the United States, and the like. There's a lot of anxiety in Europe about 5G. What's your perspective on that? They seem to be moving to 5G, but not quite as fast as Asia and the United States. We are Working with some of the carriers in Europe, we've done some publicized trials that I can talk about with Orange around both fixed wireless access and mobile access. 
they have allocated some spectrum. I think they do not have nearly as much in the millimeter wave as we've allocated in the United States, and I don't think that's been auctioned off. But you might have to fact check me on that, David. You you probably have a chart on your desk that knows better than I do about that. Well, we certainly do have a lot of experts on these on these things. Standards has been a big issue. Who does the standards? What the role of standards organizations are? Uh, the International Telecommunications Union, part of the United Nations, has its big every four year conference. Its assembly later this year, in November in India the World Telecommunications Standardization Assembly. There are standards organizations that are primarily industry-led. The ITU one is both industry but also governments as well. When Samsung is involved in the standards process, how do they decide where to go to create these global standards? The main body for mobile standardization really is the 3GPP. I don't know why they didn't update their name to 4GPP and then 5GPP. It's the same organization, and it's a kind of a, a federation of national standards organizations. And they're, they're the reason why your phone works everywhere you go in the world, because there's, there's really global standardization. The ITU standards group adopts standards coming out of 3GPP. So they're not really developed in the ITU. They're adopted by the ITU. What the ITU does is uh, allocate spectrum. But as you know, that's a, a different branch of the ITU that does that. But uh, Samsung uh, participates in 3GPP standardization all over the world. You sometimes hear here in Washington the claim that the most important race to 5G is the race to set the standard. And I don't think that's true. I think that the important race is to use the standard and use the platform. That's where the real economic value is. But even if that were true, the U.S. is really doing fine. There's a lot of U.S. participation in standards bodies. There's a lot of U.S. technology in the standards essential patents as part of 3GPP, including at 5G. There's no one country that has dominated standard setting, and that would be really hard to do because the standards processes are open. And if companies think there's an economic value in the, the standard, they will send engineers to participate. And so part of the important lesson I, I assume you uh, are saying is that if you look back at the economic value of 3G and 4G, which we now have a lot of history, the real major economic value is really on the application side, clever people coming up with how to use the networks, how to use the spectrum in ways to bring value to individuals and to enterprises and to others. And as large as the market is on the equipment side, whether it's base stations or handsets, it's dwarfed by the economic value on the application side. Is that your perspective as well? That is my perspective, although, of course, Samsung is happy to be making the equipment, the chips and the base stations okay. and the phones. That's the economically valuable part to us. Very good. And it seems at the risk of perhaps stating the obvious, and you've mentioned this before, the great strength of the United States traditionally has been on the application side, having people cleverly figure out things that others have not and how to use the networks, how to use all the great equipment and facilities that are made available. And so the importance of the so-called winning the 5G race, it sounds to me is what you're saying, is less in terms of 
the standards and some of these issues, but rather it's the race to find the great value in how the network can be used going forward, which in turn is dependent upon allocation of spectrum and deployment of equipment across the United States and globally. Is that your perspective? Yes, it is, uh, although I wouldn't discount great companies like Qualcomm and Intel that have huge amounts of technology in the standards, continue to do a huge amount of R&D in mobile and participate in 3GPP and get that in there. And also, a lot of Samsung's intellectual property in 5G originated in the United States. We have Telecom Research Lab in Texas where a lot of the original millimeter wave work was done. So we're inventing 5G in the United States too. Yeah, and then, oh, I think a lot of people don't realize how large a presence Samsung has in the United States. What, something in the order of 20,000 employees across the country? That's right. Yeah, we recently celebrated our 40th anniversary in the United States, and we've got 20,000 employees here uh, manufacturing the semiconductor factory in Austin that I mentioned already. We have a new home appliance factory in South Carolina. We've got R&D in Texas, Michigan, California. It's really a great place for Samsung to do business. Well, on that happy note, uh, we want to thank you very much for coming in and having this fabulous conversation with us. We really appreciate it, John. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me here, David. Take care. Bye-bye.